So if um, you would, would you open up to the book of Genesis, which if you don't know, it's the first book in our Bibles. So we are starting um, a short series exploring uh, Genesis chapter 1. I think if memory serves me right, we're going to do it over five weeks, and today we begin that. We're looking at Genesis because it's foundational, and this Genesis gets us ready for revelation. Um, and so we really want to just see what God would say to us and say to us in the culture that he has us at this time in this place. Where's my doofer? There's my doofer. So Genesis chapter 1. Now, some books have got very famous uh, first lines, and from those very famous first lines, people can tell what the book is. Okay, I, I did this test with my family yesterday, I think it was, maybe the day before, and they failed miserably. So let's see if you can get on. They got this first one right. Here is the first line from this book. Can you guess what book it is? I am an invisible man. Any guesses? The invisible man. That was an easy one to start off with, right? It's no trick questions, no trick. Call me Ishmael. Ah, yes. <laughs> Great. Um, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Yes, well done, well done. Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt what's... <laughs> and this is the, um, some of these game shows where you have to go against the clock. And there it went. Here's this one. Once upon a time... There was a lovely princess. Nearly. Keep going. War and peace. <laughs> Shrek. I don't know if it's a book, but I know it was the first line from Shrek. And here we have this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These are, I would suggest, some of the most significant words in Genesis in the Bible that have ever been uttered or written. Because history is important and origins are important. It lays down principles. It lays down foundations for us in understanding who we are, in understanding what we are called to, and in understanding what's going to happen and where we are going. Foundations are so important. And in our schools and in our culture, we are bombarded with ideas of who we are, what we're meant to be doing, and what's going to happen in the end. That it's important to go back to foundations and biblical um, principles right at the beginning and I think it's very appropriate to start with this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Can I pray? Father, I ask in the name of your son, Jesus, and by your spirit, that you would um, make these words come alive to us. That you would remind us of things that we've known and be believed for, for as long as we can remember. That you would teach us something new. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us who you are and what you're all about, that we would have confidence in you, confidence in your word, 
and that we would have life ever after. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. So our text is very small. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, words in the English translation that I have there. But I want us just to consider three things from these 10 words as we start this short series looking at Genesis. And the first one that I'd like to just consider, the first point is that our world and everything in it has a beginning. I'll put that up there so you know where I'm going. I think everyone at some point has contemplated this. Um, the big questions in life, the beginning questions, because once you've made your mind up about the beginning, it then has such a significant impact on so much of the rest of our life and who we think God is and how we view God and who we think ourselves are, what we think of this world and time, space and matter. Even atheists who would deny that there is deity would sit and wonder about questions about the beginning. And in school, certainly I was, possibly you, and I'll say that, you and I in school were taught the theory of the Big Bang. Now in 1941, March 1941, this astronomer, and I if I've spelt that, is that spelt wrong or right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Fred Hoyle was on a BBC radio programme, March 1941. And during that radio programme, he was discussing theories of the universe. And he was an advocate of the steady state theory of how the universe is. And that steady state theory would say that the universe has no beginnings and has no end. It continues. And so it was on this radio program that Fred Hoyle um, then was asked about a popular theory of the universe at that time. Because for two or three decades, this theory that the universe had a beginning was beginning to gain a lot of momentum. And a lot of people were liking this idea. And Fred Hoyle, when he was asked about this, just flippantly said, oh, that Big Bang idea. And that is where we get this name for this theory of the universe that it has a beginning from Fred Hoyle on a BBC radio program in March 1941 where he just flippantly flipped off and he said, oh, that Big, ba big Bang idea. And yet, you and I in our schools uh, in primary education have come to be taught that this is how it all began. The Big Bang and then maybe, maybe the big contraction as the universe slows down. And it's extremely popular. Then something happened recently. After 25 years... And I believe after 10 billion US dollars, on Christmas Day 90, no, 2021, a great big telescope called the James Webb Telescope launched into the heavens, into the universe, 
with the mission to reveal the let there be light moment. And off it went. Trying to look at galaxies when they first ignited in the Big Bang. Now, I've been aware of this James Webb telescope. For some reason, it's been popping up in my YouTube feed all the time. So I've watched countless little videos. And during that time, I've just witnessed that scientists who, more often than not, are on National Geographic, very anti uh, the, the Bible's idea of how the, the world came, the universe came into existence, but very sure of themselves and of their science. And then... In the last 18 months, I've seen these same scientists on YouTube saying things like this. We were wrong. We are sorry. We need to rewrite our textbooks. All because of the images that the James Webb Telescope are sending back to our scientists at NASA and others. There was one uh, series of photographs that were six red dots. I'm pretty sure I've referred to this somewhere in the last few months. These six red dots, which are believed to be distant galaxies that have appeared more than 13 billion years ago. But if they are indeed galaxies, they're unlike any other galaxies that scientists have ever seen before. But that's because they're impossibly large and they're in dense. They can tell they're so dense and large by the depth of the red as they look at it through the James Webb Telescope. And this should not be because they came into existence relatively soon after the Big Bang Theory. They shouldn't be that red. It's older star galaxies that should be that red. An astronomer, Catherine Seuss, who you may or may not know, says, there is no way that's right. That's just insane. So as James Webb continually sends back images, it's shattering our understanding of the universe. As we speak, those who have created our textbooks, those who have been in National Geographic and all of these um, programs, including, well, just ones that we will be very familiar with in Britain, they are acknowledging that the, the universe is a mysterious place. They're acknowledging that our best attempts to understand it reveal it to be all the more mysterious. For me, I think of when Drew Scott's escape rooms, that you walk into a room and you have to get through one door and you think when you get through that one door, you'll be met with another puzzle to go through another door. But actually you get through that one door and you find that there's four other doors and subsequently there's four other doors. For me, that immediately comes into my mind as I'm seeing how the science world, as I am witnessing it, and I ain't no scientist. Just be bamboozled by what they're discovering and saying we may have to rewrite our textbooks. Genesis 1.1 declares that the universe is a creation. So therefore, it's very anti-steady state, the idea that the universe always has been and always will be. Genesis 1 verse 1 declares that our universe time, space, and matter is created and that it has a definite beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So let me also add then, if there is a beginning, there must be an end. There will be a point when, uh, where that which has been created will no longer exist. 
After all, if it hasn't always existed, why would we assume that it always will exist? Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Now, 2 Peter is near the end of the New Testament. In my Bible, it often jumps about the place and hides from me. But if you've got one of these red Bibles, it's page 1224. This idea that there is a beginning and therefore that, that there is an end is repeated in Scripture time after time after time. I'm just going to read you one, which is in 2 Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 3. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, before everything ceases, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say this, where is this coming, he promised, and he is referring to Jesus in the second coming. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as if, as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed, referring to the flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Now, there's so much there you can go into, and that's not the context of what I'm trying to push this morning. What I'm just trying to show you by one verse of many, many in Scripture that the Bible clearly states there is a beginning and there is an end. And the Apostle John experienced an apocalyptic vision, and in that vision, and it's the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and in that vision, in uh, chapter 21, verse 1, he says this. In this vision, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the uh, first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer sea. Again, there's a few things I could draw out there, but I'm not going to. I just want to highlight again. There is a beginning there is an end, and Scripture then attains to say, then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no sea. And with I just throw in there, there will be no chaos, no sin. So in the beginning, the heavens and the earth were created, and yet they are not eternal. But it's very important for me to highlight that there is something that is eternal. It's not just ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and that's it. The story in Scripture, the conviction that we stand by, we acknowledge Jesus as the first fruit of the new creation. That is because you and I, Scripture would say, are eternal beings. The heavens and the earth will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And on that judgment, everyone will bow the knee before Jesus, who doesn't come as the suffering servant, but he comes as the Lion of Judah to judge the living and the dead. And there will be a judgment. You know that I'm just trying to get across this point. That we will either live for eternity with the Father. 
or we will choose to live apart from him, not acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior of the world. The irony is it seems that this biblical view of the, the creation is not eternal and that we are and our culture seems to flip. Think about that. It's a 180 degrees pulls apart idea of what happens. Our world will continue forever. It's been here for billions of years. It's going to be here for more billions of years. And for us, that may as well be eternity. But we've got one life. What are you going to do with that life? Live it to the full. Do what you want. Please yourself. You only get one shot of it. And then at funerals, we all see, say nice things about you, whether they're true or whether they're not. That is different from what Scripture says, which says the first heaven and the first earth will pass away. So the second thing I want to draw out very quickly is that God existed before everything else because it simply says, in the beginning, God. And that's where I'm going with this. For God to be present in the beginning, he had to exist before the beginning, which means that God is outside space, time, and matter. He was there in the beginning because God has no beginning. He will be there in the end because God has no end. This sounds like the steady state theory of the universe to me. And yet scripture again affirms this time and time again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Psalm 92 says this, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The universe is not eternal. God is eternal. And when Moses asked God a question in Exodus chapter 3 about who, when he was to go to Pharaoh and he's to go to Israel, and, and Moses says to God, who will I say has sent me? Who are you? Describe yourself. And names were very, very important in describing the character of the person. So who should I say is sending me to the people to go before Pharaoh? And God boldly and very briefly says this in Exodus chapter 3. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. The Almighty's answer is this, I be, I exist. God has always been and always will be. God made time and yet he is before time because he is timeless. Say to them, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So at the beginning, God was always there. In fact, God is the author of all things. And therefore, there is nothing in all of creation that is equal to God. And that should give us hope. That song, that, uh, the new song that we're singing there, speaks, I'm going to read that, it was at the, rain came and wind blew, but my house was built anew, I'm safe with you. I still get joy in the chaos, I've got peace that makes no sense, so I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength. For those of us who, have this, who, have, who are following Jesus 
Our life is not a bed of roses. Life is so brutally difficult at times. There is so much mystery. How many of us have prayed for friends and family and real faith that they would be healed and yet that was not the case. And we struggle with that and we ask the question, why? But my hope is in this. My hope is in God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit who have always existed and who created and have the power to create and sustain all life according to the plan and place. And in that plan, he says, I will sustain you. I will never leave you. I will never forget you. You will go through trials and tribulations. Call in my name and you will be saved. Be refined in that time. And it is mysterious and I don't understand it, but I just know that when I fall on my knees because life is so hard, I'm called to get back up again and follow in the dust of my rabbi Jesus, my saviour and my master. So there is hope. Even if life is brutal, there is hope. Because of the great I am. Nothing can stand against him because he holds, he creates and holds all things. Can a painting um, suddenly turn round and challenge the painter? Of course not. Can a sculpture turn round and question the merits of the sculptor? If that's the right phrase? No. Nothing in all creation can outdo God. Nothing in all creation can t- contend with him. So we're not without hope. If God is for us, who can be against us, says Romans chapter 8. God never says oops. It's a song we used to sing years ago here in the church family. God never says oops. Never. Oh, I can't remember it. We need to sing that again. Oh, I can't remember the words. That's all I need to remember. God never says oops. Think of something that you're going through just now. And I know some of you, and I know some of the situations you're going through, and it's brutal. I want to press in on this one. Don't run away from this important thing I'm trying to say. Some of the situations you're going through is because of human decisions. Selfishness. But sometimes it's just life. And we rub each other up the wrong wrong ways. And we fall in and out of love. And sometimes as we have believers in, in, in Russia and in the Ukraine opposed to what is happening... And they're suffering the consequences of decisions of others. But in that, God never says oops. Nothing catches him by surprise. We need to hold on to that, especially with the situations we're finding in our own life. That, we, that it's not being solved right away. We need to journey through this. If God is for us, who can be against us? And the third thing, and lastly as I finish here... I've picked four, very briefly, but four popular uh, philosophies that feed us, that our children swim in, but which Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 contradicts. And I just want to briefly touch on them. And the first two are these, atheism. Atheism would say that there is no God. But Genesis chapter 1 contends that there is a God. He is the author of creation. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Simple. 
pantheism, which says that God is everything and everything is God. The world is either identical with God or in some way a self-expression of his nature. But it's the idea that we say that that mountain is God. We say that that cow is God, that, that God is in the particles in the atmosphere. All of this is God. Genesis 1 verse 1 contends and says that God is distinct from creation. Yes, we can see his wonder and his character, and therefore we should have no excuse. We can see God in creation, but that creation is not God. He is distinct from his creation. To say that he is part of the creation would mean that God is caused, that God is created, that God is temporal. And that is not the biblical worldview. The next two, naturalism. The belief that creation took place over time periodically through a, a natural process. And that creation will continue to evolve in a natural way without any influence from deity. Genesis 1 verse 1 contends that creation took place when someone, God outside time, space and matter intervened and authored all that is now. The word created actually here in the Hebrew is bara. Have I put it up there? I did, yeah. Bara. Which means to create or to initiate something new. As opposed, as opposed to fashioning something from other things. Bara basically says created out of nothing. Um, Ex material, ex material, I think, in, in the Greek is created out of matter. Ex, I'll never get this word right. Ex, I've put it up there, haven't I? Nelio, I can hardly speak English, never mean. Um, means created out of nothing. Genesis chapter 1 is affirming this created out of nothing. In the beginning was God, and He created the heavens and the earth. He spoke. And significantly, the word um, bara is only ever used in scripture in, in reference to God, never man. And there's a lot of mankind creating in scripture. But when the word bara, the Hebrew word bara is used, it's only when God is involved. Only God creates something out of nothing. Only God does that. And so naturalism, where it all happens naturally, etc., etc., and fatalism, which holds that there is no God, there is simply a force, impersonal, uh, which is pushing and pushing and probing and making things happen, but it's just the way it is. It's just chance. It's a force. It's as close to Star Wars as you can get. Genesis 1 contends there is a personable God who purposefully chose to freely create. You and I are made fearfully and wonderfully. And this God is called Elohim. He is the triune God. And we're going to come to this through Genesis. He's a triune God. And to Moses, he described himself as I am who I am. So that's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. As I finish, I just want to show you some photographs. Um, I, I think it's straightforward, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. But it can be complex and it can, and it can be compelling. It's easy to understand, but there's real depth if we would but mine it. 
There is lots of waters that our children are swimming in are being taught about how things are that are opposed to the, the biblical worldview. And it's up to us to teach our children or to know that ourselves and to explore that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. I thought I'd just finish with that vision of, uh, and again, I could have picked so many from Scripture, but that vision of God's glory, mysterious glory, it's out of this world glory. And I'm going to do it with another Scripture in a moment to finish with. But when the, the James Watt Telescope launched, here is a, these words were written in Christianity Today, and it was published just weeks afterwards as it, it went into the heavens. And this article said, there are approximately a trillion galaxies out there, each encompassing an average of 100 to 200 billion stars. Our home, this pale blue dot called Earth, has just stopped shrinking in comparative stature. Now it is found to be a mid-sized planet orbiting a mid-rank star in one galaxy out of a trillion. One brother who is a twin can look up to the stars and say, isn't the steady state, isn't chance just amazing? And another brother who is a twin can look up to the heavens and say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's a mystery. But the heavens declare God's glory. And here's some of the glories that the James Watt Telescope is sending back. Our universe, and I'm being creative that, well, I'm actually quoting scripture where God flung the stars into space. Strange shapes, mysterious entities, but all in the heavens, the highest heavens of stars and galaxies being born and dust coming together, not, not formed yet, creating huge plumes and beauty and wonder and and maybe that is one that we're quite used to. Darkness, billions and billions of galaxies. John, as he um, had his revelation, he wrote this, speaking of the heavens and of the creator, redeemer God. That's a long passage, but a ask you to bear with me. And if it helps, close your eyes. After I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet says, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald, and encircled, uh, encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. 
These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the four living creatures gave glory, Honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him and sit on, that sit on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created. And have their being. Shall we pray together? Father, I thank you for your word, which often catches us off guard. May it continually come alive to us. May you speak to us by your spirit about Jesus and the redemption that we have through him, about um, our beginnings, our life now, and what you have planned for us in the new heaven and the new earth. Sometimes, Father, we can't see beyond our own nose, and there is so much around about us that we need you to intervene in and speak to us. Even the question, Father, if you are there, would you reveal yourself to us and make yourself known to us? Questions like these are all around us. And I pray, Lord, that in worship we would come and bring those and wait patiently with, uh, before you, knowing that if you are for us, who will be against us? And that your will in our life and in our communities and our world would come about you would do that through us, according to your will, and that our neighbours and our families would bow the knee before Jesus, willingly acknowledge who he is. And as always, Father, my prayer is that our families would be united in your kingdom for all eternity. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Amen.